Reflecting on the summer season and now heading into fall, we have three great topics lined up today, all focusing on river health and outdoor recreation. Today, with co-host Ben Wade. Hello. And Eric Skye. Hello. We will be going over recreational and, and channel diversions, an ongoing public awareness campaign on lowhead dams in Colorado, and tips on fishing in the Denver metro region from Trout Unlimited. The first topic we're going to cover on this episode is a CWCB program established back when Hector was a pup in 2001, and that program is Recreational In-Channel Diversions. The CWCB staffer who is responsible for administering this program is our co-host, Eric Skye. And Eric, don't have to uh, introduce <laughs> you, and you don't have to thank me for being on the program, but you should thank me for introducing you to uh, some good 90s bands. That Yeah, that okay. is definitely worth the thanks. And I do feel I need to apologize to the listeners, because they're going to have to hear my voice a little bit more than usual today. Sorry. <laughs> That's okay. All right. Well, let's let's just start off. I don't know how many people are familiar with this term, so we'll just uh, give you the sample here. What are recreational in-channel diversions? Yeah, so recreational in-channel diversion, which we'll say RICD from here on out because it's much less of a mouthful. There are water rights just like any others. Um, they can be applied for by county governments, municipalities, cities, water districts, water sanitation districts, and basically governmental entities. And they're really meant to protect a reasonable recreational experience within a community. Real quick, uh, you, you said in there reasonable recreational experience. So what is that? Well, it's going to vary from place to place, and it's going to vary based on flows. So these RICD water rights have several different flow rates associated with them. They're only allowed to go from April 1st through Labor Day, but there are certain sections of that time frame that may have, say, 5,000 CFS versus 250 CFS at the tail end. That reasonable recreation experience is really meant for different skill levels, if you will. So like those first 250 CFS at the tail season, that's really for your beginner boaters, maybe your tubers, stuff like that. Whereas that higher flow rate, say 1,000 CFS, is really for your experienced whitewater rafters and folks who are really looking to get into those really adrenaline pumping type experiences. So you're saying I can't bring my speedboat on these diversions? <laughs> no, these water rights are only for non-motorized boating. Dang it. <laughs> sorry, sorry. That's all, that's all right. Uh, how How is our agency involved in these? So CWCB has to review all water rights applications for RICDs. And we're required to make three findings of fact that are submitted to the water court. Basically, we look at, will the application promote the maximum beneficial use of water? Will the application impair Colorado's ability to fully develop its compact entitlements? And will the application adversely impact CWCB in-stream flow water rights? So we review everything about the application, all the engineering designs, all of the flow rates that they're claiming. We take a look at what water rights already exist on those stream segments just to make sure that all of those findings are positive. So once we do that full review, the CWCB then works with the applicant and we hold a public hearing at one of our board meetings. 
That includes testimony from the staff on their findings of fact and how they came to the three conclusions that are necessary. That includes testimony from the applicant themselves and then from any opposers to the water right. And CWCB is actually going to be getting more involved in recreational projects and methods. With Colorado's water plan, we actually outline RICDs in Chapter 6.6. And one of the core values of the water plan is to promote a productive economy that supports a robust recreation industry. All right. So, Eric, is it common for these RICDs to be challenged in water court? Uh, if, if that is the case, do these challenges more often than not come from in-state or out-of-state parties? Yeah, pretty much as soon as the application hits the resume from the water court, opposers begin to file. And CWCB actually files as an opposer so that we can track the case and update our findings as stipulations and other agreements are made with the other opposers. And that opposition does primarily come from folks within the state of Colorado. All right, so how many of these RICDs have been appropriated since this was established back in 2001? There are 21 across the state, and you can actually find a map of all of the RICDs and even whitewater parks that don't have the water right associated with them on our website. Okay, so even though cities can fall in opposition, in the end, do these RICDs help benefit the community and economy for those who apply and and get these approved? Absolutely. I think a great example of that can be found in Salida. They actually have an entire three-day festival around their RICD in Whitewater Park called the Fibark. And I read that that actually brings in 20,000 people to Salida every year. So you can imagine all those folks running around, they're buying coffees, they're going out to lunch, and they're really bringing a lot of money into Salida. You know, if you're a community that's looking to apply for an RICD, we strongly encourage that you reach out to us before even filing. Because even though we're required to take a look at these after the application is filed, we'd really love to work with the applicants beforehand so we can kind of address any of these findings issues before this even hits the water court process. So feel free to go on our website and reach out if you are thinking of filing for an RICD. But river recreation is not all fun and games. Another important river-focused project at the Department of Natural Resources is a public awareness campaign around low-head dam safety that was launched over the summer. And today we have dam safety expert Bill McCormick from the Division of Water Resources to provide some more information on this important topic. Hi, Bill. Good morning, Sarah. How are you? Great. Um, Bill, can you tell us a little bit about what a low-head dam is? Well, in Colorado, you know, we define low head dams as, as any, any engineered structure in a river that goes from one bank to the other. I mean, we created an inventory of low head dams back in 2019, and it has three categories of low head dams. One is a diversion structure, which is normally used for agriculture um, that sends water from the river to canals and ditches to farm fields. Another is a grade control structure, which is mostly used in urban areas where urban drainage characteristics have caused increases in flows in the streams and we have head cutting and these structures keep the stream grades uh, relatively uniform so they don't move around. And then more recently, we've got recreation structures. Uh, We have play parks and play holes that communities have built as recreational amenities. And those are also engineered and, and, and generally go bank to bank. So those are the three types of dams and uh, low head dams in Colorado. So why did the state decide to launch a public awareness campaign around them? 
Well, you know, it started really back in 2019. There was a fatality in Fort Collins in 2017 that made the news at a lowhead dam that was used for irrigation. And in 2019, some folks from the, the legislature approached DNR to see if what we knew about these kind of structures and what we could do about them. That's an interesting thing about these structures that they're really, there's no regulatory authority or regulatory responsibility to provide oversight around these structures. So um, knowing that DNR started a, a steering committee, sort of a coalition of people with interest in, the, in rivers and streams to see what we could do about that. And that really kicked it off. It went from just that awareness. We hired an intern to create an inventory of the dams to see what the extent of the issue was across the state. We put that onto a website. So it's a public facing website that was done in October of um, 2021. And then we got a water plan grant in the fall of 20. And with that, that's how we got to the public safety initiative. We really wanted to keep the momentum going from the inventory to the website to um, an awareness campaign in the spring and summer of 2021. So that's how it all started. Yeah, it sounds like a lot of great work has been done already on this campaign. What kind of funding would it take to really move forward with this public awareness campaign? And is that funding possible? Well, you know, so far it's been um, a bit of an ad hoc process. That's, you know, it's good and bad to have a steering committee. Nobody has direct responsibility, but we all know people and we all can, you know, find, be creative with sources of funding. So the inventory was funded just through the executive director's office had some extra money. And then the water plan grant was actually a, a pretty modest ask of the water plan. We've got about a $32,000 grant from the water plan. We had funding. We got a really generous donation from the Wright Family Foundation for $20,000 to do signage at structures. And then we, I added for my National Dam Safety Program FEMA funds, I added another $20,000. So um, and then Wright Water Engineers is providing in-kind funding to do emergency responder training for the people that are, are tasked with responding to um, incidents at these low-head dams. So, you know, right now our project is it's a little less than $100,000. Um, it'll go over a couple of years. We had a great campaign this summer, which we can talk about a little bit more. We've had some first responder training already that Wright Water has done up in Summit County. We're working with three communities to get signs installed at low head dams, one in Rio Grande, down about down near Del Nor, another in Pueblo, and then working with folks in Fort Collins. So, you know, with a, a fairly modest amount of money, you know, that's what we've got accomplished. I think going into the future, you know, similar amounts of money to keep the awareness campaign going would be good. It looks to us about 30,000 a year and we could do a really nice radio and digital ad campaign every year to continue to raise awareness. When it comes to signage and modifications at structures, that's when it gets a little more probably expensive and certainly more complicated as, as we start to work with the stakeholders that need to be involved in those local communities to improve public safety in those areas. So it sounds like there are really multiple benefits to funding projects like this one beyond public awareness. Can you explain that a little bit more to listeners? You know, our so the, the campaign really, starts, you know, at the idea of reducing risk at these structures. From my dam safety perspective, it's really a public safety is kind of first and foremost, because that's the, the real tragedy of these structures is they, they are de de deceptive, they, they cause fatalities. And we've had several of those in, in recent years. 
but there are other benefits as well. You know, the if we can take a structure that just provided irrigation and it, it might need repairs to maintain its current function, there's other benefits that could be added during the, the rehabilitation of that structure. The fisheries biologists now, you know, with climate change, they're thinking the stream temperatures are rising. These prevent a, a impediment to fish passage for fish to get further upstream where the waters are cooler. So if we can rehab these structures to include fish passage, that's another stakeholder benefit to the, to the biologists. Certainly the recreation community, that's really one of the things that brought this campaign on is the intersection of increase in recreation on Colorado's rivers with the need for irrigation, you know, using the water off the rivers. So um, as these pressures increase, that's where we see the multi-stakeholders really, um, there's multi-benefits. It's, it's not a one-size-fits-all. There are, are many um, folks from the ag community needs to have a voice, Trout Unlimited and CPW for their fisheries. And then we've been working with American Whitewater to help out with the recreation community to provide an interface for there. So there, there's lots of voices and um, we can get lots of benefits if we um, are thoughtful about how we approach these things. That's great. And what is next for this campaign? Well, um, we're kind of done with the digital ad campaign for the summer. Now that's really, we really need to target, you know, the people as they're getting on the rivers. And so that season's kind of over for us. But like I said earlier, we're working on um, getting signs installed at three locations at the moment. We're working with the Rio Grande Canal Company and the Rio Grande Watershed Restoration Project, CPW, American Whitewater, and DARCA down at a structure on the, on the Rio Grande River outside of Del Norte. So that's kind of exciting. The owner there had, had seen people do kind of silly things at their dam, very dangerous things. And so they actually approached us and said, can we get some signs to really help get, keep people off of our structure because they didn't want to see anything bad happen. So we're in the process of developing a sign package for them. Our, the consultant that we hired for this initiative um, has a great graphic artist that's working on some really cool signs that we, we hope will help there. Similarly, down in Pueblo, for the Board of Waterworks of Pueblo, they have a, the south side diversion structure, which was the site of a tragedy in 2020, where a father and son were canoeing on Father's Day, and they went over this structure and they both drowned. And that's just tragic. And the Board of Waterworks is responding to that and taking the initiative to, to try to get some work done there. They've got a long-term project to, to remove the structure and create some of these multi-stakeholder benefits out of it but that's down the road a little ways. So um, we're working with them to install some signage now so we can make sure that people are as safe as can be around the structure in this, this interim period between now and when they do full construction on that. And then finally up in Fort Collins, where the site of the original 2017 fatality is, we're working with the city of Fort Collins and their natural areas department who handles some of the recreation up around Picnic Rock and and so we're looking to them to do some innovative signage there with using some illuminated strobe kind of lights at these structures. That's one thing that, that we heard repeatedly is that when, when you're on the river, these structures are invisible. You, all you see is the skyline. You can't tell where they are, where the drop is. So this kind of signage, uh, an illuminated, sort of like a street crossing sign, those signs that we see that you hit the button and they, they start to blink and everybody sees that there's a street crossing there. The city of Fort Collins is looking into the costs of installing those um, as a test project at one of those 
um, sites uh, between a couple of their recreation areas. So we're really looking forward to, to working on those three projects. And then the next phase is uh, one of our um, collaborators has been American Whitewater and they submitted a, another water plan grant application to do a prioritization project to take our inventory and to take what we've learned from signage I and mean, the things we've learned so far and develop a prioritization scheme. Where, where could they go to look for places where there's the intersection of an irrigator needs to have something rehabbed, the biologist would like to have fish be allowed to go from warmer waters to cooler waters, and there's recreation pressures also to how do we keep people safe that might be recreating. So American Whitewater is taking the lead on that, but the rest of us, the steering committee and the partners are gonna help them with that project and hopefully prioritize and get some projects on the books where we'll do you know real construction to create these multi-stakeholder benefits at existing facilities. So that's that's in the coming years and you know we're pretty excited about that. Well needless to say Bill this is a very important project for DNR for the water plan and it's also really important that our outdoor recreationists um, seek out information to to learn more about this. So um, last question for you is where can folks go to learn more about lowhead dams and uh, public safety issues? Sure. So we, that was also part of the campaign was to, to create our own um, website, our own web domain. So it's lowheaddamcolorado.com is our website. Essentially, it takes it to a DNR website where we're housing the inventory. There's uh, frequently asked questions. What is a lowhead dam? Why are they dangerous? You know, lots of information about education. And then some additional resources as well, if, if folks want to do a deeper dive into it. There, there are some organizations across the country that are also dealing with this issue. It's, it's certainly by no means a, a Colorado-specific issue. Many states are, are struggling with what to do with these now because people are you know, having tragic fatalities at these across the country. So um, look at our website, Google Lowhead Dams, and there should be you know, additional information for folks that are interested. And that's what the, the, our ad campaign is really, we're hoping that people will be directed to the website and educate themselves. And our, our motto is know before you go, be damn aware. Yeah, I actually have a few of those stickers that I picked up at the, the launch event. So um, maybe we'll have to share those with our listeners through our platform. But anyway, uh, thanks so much for ever, all the information today, Bill. That was really helpful. Well, sure, Sarah. Thanks. I really appreciate the opportunity to to bring this important issue and, and to get, you know, get more awareness around it. So thank, thank you so much too. Well, to close out today's podcast, we kind of wanted to shift gears. We've been talking mostly about floating the rivers, but now we get to talk about one of my personal favorite activities. We get to talk about fishing rivers. Joining us, we have Will Rice, who's a board member for Trout Unlimited's Denver chapter. Will, how are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me uh, on the podcast. Absolutely. I'm really excited to talk fishing with you, but first, can you kind of tell us the history of Trout Unlimited in the Denver area? Yeah, I can uh, give you a bit of background, especially from my perspective. Uh, I first started going to Denver Trout Unlimited meetings over 10 years ago. Uh, I was interested in learning more about the river and some of the information that um, I knew that uh, Denver uh, DTU had that I didn't. So I started going to meetings. And from there, I got pretty involved with the uh, Denver Trout Unlimited Carp Slam, which is a uh, which is a fundraising event uh, for the Denver South Platte River. 
which is pretty exciting. We have coming up uh, here soon. And, uh, you know, we really just try to focus, you know, primarily on general awareness about the river. You know, I think there's a, a misperception about the South Platte as it runs through um, Denver that, you know, it's just kind of a, a ditch. And, and really, it's a, it's a multi-species uh, river. Uh, there's a lot of great opportunities to, um, to recreate, to fish. And uh, we spent a lot of time just trying to educate the um, general population of, of what, what that resource is all about and also keep everybody up to speed on issues that are impacting the river, as well as, you know, some of the other activities like river cleanups and, uh, and other fundraising events. Yeah, you kind of you touched on my next question there, because you talked about the public perception of the South Platte through Denver and that I am absolutely guilty of thinking that the South Platte through Denver is just kind of this gross stretch of water. And I've been seeing more and more people get involved in even trout fishing. I've seen some pretty awesome trout come out just outside of the REI there. So how would you address people like myself who still kind of think of the South Platte as like this gross thing and, you know, I'd like to go fishing, but I also don't want to burn my waders afterwards. How would you kind of address that person? Same here, Will. Yeah, the, uh, you know, the Denver South Platte River, you know, has a lot of the stigmas that a lot of other urban rivers have, right? I mean, just by definition, it's going right through downtown. There's all kinds of environmental, um, you know, issues that are happening, discharging into the water. Um, I will say this, it's, it's a very, very diverse waterway and fishery. So if you think about it, you know, kind of our, our home water, our stretch basically begins below the Chatfield Reservoir and, you know, up, you know, that southern part of the river. I mean, it's, it's really beautiful in spots and there are trout up in, uh, up in those um, reaches there close to the dam where the water's a little bit cooler. And then obviously it changes quite a bit as it gets further downstream into downtown. Um, but we consider our home water all the way north up to about 120th Avenue and, you know, once you get up there, um, it's there's there's some really beautiful sections of the river. So, you know, it's not I always explain that everyone, you know, it's not it's not a river that's for everyone. It's not a fishing experience for everyone. But if you're looking to diversify um, what you're doing, if you're looking to maybe save a little travel time. Uh, I mean, for me, I can get down to the river in about a you know five to ten minute drive. I also bike there a lot, you know, so I'm not driving. Um, you know, hours and hours to get to a, um, uh, a fishing spot. And then, you know, lastly, uh, it's a fantastic carp fishery. I mean, there's other, I mentioned trout already, but there's smallmouth bass, but there is a prolific uh, amount of carp in there. And if you're into fly fishing, um, you probably know that carp are one of the most challenging species, especially freshwater species. And uh, man, it's, it's, a great, it's a great fishing experience for, uh, for the right kind of person. Carp are an absolute blast. I've only hooked into one once, but man, no other fish can get you down to your backing and then snap off your line within a minute. It's insane. <laughs> I was going to say, you've got a huge stretch from Chatfield all the way down to 120th Ave. What kind of projects is Trout Unlimited involved in to kind of help with the habitat or water quality or flows or anything like that? Yeah, great question. So Denver Trout Unlimited has been very involved in different projects. And we kind of talk about the project is projects that sometimes, you know, they impact uh, the river above the waterline. So, you know, there's a lot of new construction happening and, and we always want to be at the table as changes 
that are being made to the river or the flows or, or you know, direction of the river that um, we have a seat at the table, both from an environmental conservation perspective, but also from, uh, you know, from a fishing perspective. So there's projects that we're involved with above the waterline as well as below the waterline. One of the projects that, you know, I'm most proud of, and I think a lot of Denver Trout Unlimited members are most proud of, um, is our participation in the Chatfield Environmental Pool. And so if you're not aware of it, the uh, river is basically a tailwater. So the, the majority of the flow is controlled from the dam at Chatfield. And there are cases where we have very low flow days and there's cases where we have no flow days. And a no flow day basically means there's not water coming out, out of that dam. Um, and so everyone uh, is very keen on the importance of, of flows and not only to the fish habitat and the fishing, but macrovertebrates and other, um, you know, biology that's happening in the river. So we raised uh, over $75,000 and we basically purchased water storage in the, uh, in the Chatfield Reservoir. So on those low uh, no flow days, we can actually release water down the river, which was just a huge step um, and, you know, something that took years and years for us to uh, accomplish in partnership with a lot of other organizations who were also aligned with the, uh, the need to try to minimize uh, those no flow days. Um, so that's one of them. Um, uh, another one is we just completed what's called a lifetime angling access program and guide. And so for those projects that are happening along the river, you know, if you if you're going through downtown, you can see the big cranes all over the place. But there's going to be a lot of projects impacting the river. And what we'd like to do is um, as a chapter is to create a, a guide for these different projects. So when they're making changes to the river. Um, fishing and, and creating access for anglers is something that's, you know, not an afterthought, but it's part of their plan. So we worked with some engineers and we uh, developed this guide to help, um, to help those construction projects uh, make sure that they're making decisions with anglers uh, in mind for sure. Now, as a fisherman, and you've talked about Trout Unlimited creating this fishing access. Why do you think this fishing access is so important to folks in downtown Denver or along that stretch? Yeah, great question. So, you know, access, one of the key reasons the river is so special, and we talk about it all the time, is, you know, you've got literally 30 plus miles of riverbank that is publicly accessible and, and very reachable for anglers of all ages. So you can, you know, you can walk sections, you can ride your bike literally for miles and miles and miles to, you know, explore different areas, try to find fish. Um, and the access piece of it is, um, you know, we really want to make sure that for, um, you know, anglers who are perhaps older in age, or maybe, you know, it's a young, you know, a younger family with kids who want to fish, but to make some access points that are you know, easy to reach the river. And um, we, we think it's super important for, you know, anglers, again, of all ages to be able to safely reach the river and, and experience, um, you know, all the, all the cool different species. I think I mentioned trout, you know, smallmouth bass, carp, all kinds of fish, um, you know, happening in the river. And we think it's going to get better. We, we think it's going to get better over time and, and not worse. That is awesome to hear. And I definitely got to wet some line in the South Platte next time I'm down. Now, You've mentioned this species a couple times, so I think I know the answer to my next question, but what is your favorite species to go for? Ah, uh, good softball. I knocked that one out of the park. 
uh, for sure it's, uh, it's carp. Um, and you know, my history with the South Platte river and carp is I, um, you know, I, I started out as a, as a bass fisherman growing up and, you know, definitely turned my nose up to carp, uh, big time. And I started fly, fly fishing for trout out here in Colorado. Um, and soon that evolved to me taking trips down to, um, South America and Central America and the Caribbean. And I was fishing for bonefish and permit and tarpon. And then I came back to Denver and my wife and I were riding our bike along the bike path at one point. We got up on one of those elevated um, bridges and I looked down and I just saw it was a pile. It must've been 30 fish. And, and I just watched them and, and their, their behavior was so much like a bonefish in the Caribbean um, or even a permit coming up onto a, uh, up onto a flat. And, you know, I think everything just kind of flipped there for me. And, and I was committed to figuring out how to catch, you know, these fish that were literally in my backyard. And, um, you know, unfortunate to say, it probably took me a year uh, to figure out how to actually get a carp to eat. And it's a truly visual experience. So, you know, we are, you know, I spent a lot of my time now not actually even fishing, just walking the bank, looking for fish, looking for the right fish. And, uh, and it's, it's, uh, it's a very um, complex problem to solve on the river. The river's always changing, it's moving. Um, and for me, carp, it's kind of a, it's kind of a pinnacle uh, freshwater fish in, in my mind. And we have just such a great, huge resource to, to fish for those fish uh, here in Denver. Yeah, I got to get down there. My dad's been getting into carp fishing and he's out in Arizona. They will pull him around lakes. They're insanely yeah, fun fish. They are. They're, they are. Uh, they're, they're very smart. Um, and, you know, it, it will take uh, it'll take a bit of time to figure them out. But once you do, um, I, I do think a lot of, you know, again, for the right angler uh, who's into it, we'll have a, a lot of a lot of fun down there recreating on the uh, on the South Platte. Awesome. Well, it sounds like you guys have a lot of work ahead of you down in Trout Unlimited. It sounds like, Will, you're having a blast getting to be a part of it. But before you go, do you have anything coming up that our listeners should be aware of? Yeah, one of the events I think I mentioned earlier uh, this year is the 15th annual Carp Slam. It's probably one of the um, most well-known fly fishing tournaments in the country, believe it or not, by hardcore anglers. Uh, and we have 15 teams, uh, an amateur and a pro who go out in the river. Again, it's that same kind of section from, uh, from Chatfield up to North, up to 120th. Uh, the event is October 23rd. Uh, you can certainly, listeners could certainly go on to, um, uh, denvertu.org to sponsor a, uh, an amateur. We're raising money for the different projects we're working on. Uh, but in addition to fundraising, it's a great day. If you've never seen anglers out there uh, fishing the South Platte, uh, presenting flies to carp and other species and uh, watching some of those, you know, battles on the river, you can literally take your bike out and or, or walk a section. And again, you'll see um, professional guides as well as amateurs fishing on October 23rd. And if you've never seen fly fishing for carp up close and personal, it's a great opportunity to uh, to do so. That sounds like a great day. Well, Will, thank you so much for being on today. We really appreciate your time. Hey, thanks again for uh, for having me and uh, appreciate it. Absolutely. And once again, that is denvertu.org if you want to check out the Carp Slam on October 23rd. On October 14th, the Army Corps of Engineers is hosting a public meeting on the Bear Creek Lake Reallocation Feasibility Study. In October 21st, the Interbasin Compact Committee will be hosting 
They're meeting virtually to discuss water updates and issues across the state. And finally, don't forget to save the date for CWCB's next board meeting, November 17th and 18th. Thanks for listening to today's episode. Please leave us feedback on our website or through direct message on Twitter. 